This is Scott McNamara with What's New in Adapted Physical Education. Sorry, I've been off the airwaves for a short period of time. I uh, completed my dissertation, so uh, I am technically now Dr. McNamara, but that is sounds so strange coming out of my mouth. So anyways, I'm going to do an episode in the near future that's going to detail some of my dissertation, some of my findings for my own research, which we'll do a quick one-off podcast episode on that. But this podcast is a little longer in format, so we're going to get started right away. And I have Tony Bader from the Seattle Public Schools and Dr. Susanna Dillon, my dissertation chair and a professor at Texas Women's University. And we're going to talk about APE endorsements uh, at different levels. So we're going to get started right away. I'm going to have you all get started. And what I want you to do right now is I want you to just give me a, a brief bio of who you are. So tell me kind of, you know, where you're at, your experience a little bit with APE. So my name is Tony Bader, and I am an adopted physical education specialist at Seattle Public Schools. I went to SUNY Cortland for my undergrad and University of Wisconsin-La Crosse for my master's in adaptive physical education. And then I moved out to Seattle, where after 17 years teaching here, um, really trying to advocate because our state in Washington does not recognize the adaptive physical education endorsement. And so really been working with Nick Peed and our professional organizations to try to advocate for adaptive physical education services enhancement within our state. And I am Dr. Susanna Rocco Dillon, and I am an associate professor at Texas Women's University. I have been in the field better than 20 years now and have moved from providing direct services and indirect services in the public schools in Texas to a position in higher education, uh, including higher education in Michigan and now at Texas Women's University in Texas, um, and have been involved in public school direct service delivery as well as policy um, changes and policy um, initiatives and professional preparation of general physical educators as well as adaptive physical education teachers and specialists. Um, And I'm also the president of the National Consortium for PE for Individuals with Disabilities, and I've held that position for the past four years. Okay, so we're going to talk about AP endorsements today. It's a topic that I hear about periodically. Um, there's some states that have them, and there's a lot of states that do not. And then there's a whole bunch of variability within that. So I, I want to start off with a, a why. Why does it? Why do we want APE endorsements? I, I think that's that's the first burning question that we need to, to tackle. So I say that. We need adapted physical education endorsements for teachers to help standardize service delivery and to improve the outcomes for students with disabilities. We've had um, multiple professional conversations where we've talked about discrepancy in service delivery across the United States and the quality of services that are provided. You know, the GAO report 
clearly indicated that for us that our students with disabilities are getting services, but the quality of those services are not consistent with what their their non-disabled peers are getting. And if we have endorsement or a national certification in concert with those states that have endorsements or certifications for APE peers, then we set some sort of a minimum standard as to what's what is an, a professional preparation expectation for these folks who are stepping in and providing services to students with disabilities in this From the perspective of being in the direct services with students right now, I am in more of a con- consultative role going around and helping teachers that have students with disabilities being put into their classrooms. And I think having the endorsement supports teachers more in than supporting their students that there's actually instruction for students rather than just having students, you know, quote unquote, dumped into their classrooms, Um, whether it's in a general physical education class or advocating then for a modified physical education class. So really meeting student needs and that having the endorsement allows teachers to be trained then to be able to advocate for their students' needs. I think we... As a profession, and I know the consortium was very heavily involved in this, um, or Nick Pete, we tried at state level to get um, a certification in all of the 50 states, and we met barrier after barrier after barrier, which is why the consortium then moved to a national level certification so that at a minimum we had a way to say, yes, these folks have the knowledge of best practice and of the research and can use that to implement appropriate adapted physical education services. And so that's where we came up with APENS and with the national certification because we weren't able to deliver it at every state level, which is what Tony is dealing with now in the state of Washington. Yeah. And when I'm advocating to special education directors and to districts, I think one of the biggest pushes that I see is, you know, that funding piece for public education. And with an endorsement, I think it, I don't know if regulates is the appropriate word, but it actually gives some power behind saying that there's a need there. Because if there's not an endorsement, then districts have the flexibility to put whoever they want into positions that are not highly qualified, that have not gone through a professional prep program, and students aren't being served then. So I think why it's important to have the endorsement is it gives power to having appropriately trained teachers in our classroom serving students. It sets the bar for who is a qualified professional. This person has the content knowledge, has the expertise and the background, and can deliver the service that the school district has hired them to deliver. All right. That was a lot of information, a lot of good information. I I, I firmly believe that people that work in education overall want to do good by the students. They want positive outcomes. However, the large majority of states do not have an endorsement, right? Why is this occurring then? If, If this is setting a standard and it's a positive thing, why are they not doing this? I think that there's a couple reasons that, or a couple factors that might be at play, maybe is the best way to say it. Um, I think, generally speaking, even though physical education for students with disabilities and the term adapted physical education and special physical education have been in the law since um, 
Public Law 94-142 was uh, enacted in the 1970s, there's still a large amount of misunderstanding associated with what is adapted physical education as an educational service. So I think that's at play in, in one way. I also think that there are um, a good number of states for whom they have teacher certification offices and they're trying to streamline. What are the number of certifications that we offer? How can we condense it down so that we have the right number and we still are meeting all of the needs? And so when you approach them about adding an additional endorsement or an additional certification um, area, that's not necessarily something that they want to hear because that's additional um, work and burden through their office. And th I mean, that makes sense, right? Um, and I think the other piece of it, too, is that, rightly so, each state has the ability underneath federal law to decide who is qualified within their states and within their teacher certification structure uh, to provide individual services. And some states have put in uh, provisions so that their general PE teachers are getting training in adaptive PE and are more qualified maybe than in other states or more knowledgeable, I should say, probably in other states. Um, but, but the reality is, is that there's no consistency from state to state, region of the United States to other region of the United States, or even if you take into account um, the territories that are underneath U.S. Um, governing. Yeah, I agree with all of that. I think with a state that doesn't recognize the endorsement, when I go advocate, directors and um, decision makers are asking me, well, what does adapted physical education look like? And that's a really big push why I'm trying to do recruitment, because then we can say, this is what a quality physical education service and program looks like. Adaptive physical education is not the person, it's the service. And so really just changing the perspective within our programs and within our advocacy and that message, I think is really important in educating people what adaptive physical education is. Then it comes when I'm advocating to our, we call it PESB, our Professional Education Standards Board, is they, I was telling Scott earlier, we went through our WESTI, which is a cumulative test, to add on physical education to just a teacher cert. And therefore, that's just for general physical education. And we had to go back and advocate to say, no, we want people to go through programs so that they can have the education and the knowledge of what do we want so students to know and be able to do. And that, and then on top of that, our adapted physical education endorsement. So if we lost the general physical education endorsement, then advocating for the adapted is going to be a subset of that and even harder. And what P, the PESB came to me and our organization saying is that it's how many people do you have that can be physical education teachers or adaptive physical education teachers? So the accessibility to staff in the rural communities or even some of the urban communities, we have right now, I think, 10 job openings in our, in our own district. So they're just trying to fill jobs too, besides just the budgetary implications. Tony, you touched on something, too, that's important is that when we talk about a special education classroom teacher, it's pretty easy to describe that, that job role and prepare people for that. And it's then a little bit easier from a teacher certification or teacher licensure perspective to say that the individual has to be able to do X, Y, and Z. When we talk about adaptive physical education as a service, um, underneath the umbrella of special education, 
it gets delivered in very unique ways in some places. Like, for example, I think of Pam Skogstead and her service delivery that she did in Alaska compared to what you're doing in Washington compared to what my graduates may be doing in urban Detroit or in downtown Dallas. And it's very, very different. Some of the school districts choose to use a consultative model, like what you're using, um, and is used in like the Ann Arbor Public Schools, versus other districts that go to a more direct service delivery model. Um, and, and so it's then a little bit harder to say, this is what they have to know and be able to do and put that into language and have it check all the, the bright box from the university state licensure level to the public school district. Yeah. One of the things that I'm finding, even in the consultative role that I'm in, I try to pick a couple schools to do direct service with too, because that's when I can show the, how having a specially trained endorsement has a benefit of students. Cause then I can actually teach and it's my responsibility for instruction. So I can then show directors, this is what adaptive physical education services are. Cause I have the control of that. When I'm doing consultation, a lot of times it's once a week I go in and I see teachers and I try to give them feedback. But even with that feedback, they're having a hard time implementing those services. And that's where I even say with a consultative model, we need more professional development. We need more, um, the endorsement, whether it's through APENS or it's through a higher education university, doing a three hour workshop is not going to change services. And so we really need to get into the endorsement, um, and professional development for all teachers if they're working with students with disabilities. So they can, actually serve students rather than just included into the same four walls with their general education peers. Yeah, we have, and we have that happening very often across the United States, that notion, um, as Rizzo and company would have said, that functional exclusion. The kids are there, but they're not participating in a meaningful way. And it's only with my way of thinking, it's only with good quality training and having the knowledge and skills on how to appropriately include or program for students with disabilities, do we get to those improved outcomes for students with disabilities? So I think that's an interesting uh, piece that you just brought up, Tony, too, about getting regular ongoing professional development and then showing that they have that that skill and content. Um, we've talked a few times, before this we were talking about, you know, just taking a test doesn't mean you know something either. And I like the point that a three-hour piece of professional development doesn't mean that you are an expert in something either. I like the APINs, which are, but because the APINs does also require that you have so many hours of observation and hands-on teaching. And that's, you know, a huge piece of actually showing that, hey, you are competent and you are, uh, you have some experience in this area. I've always found that there's a huge lack of even professional development though in our area that's that's given um so i don't know if that's a realistic option uh for us to create is the solution to have this endorsement always embedded within uh higher education or is it something that we can deliver through high quality professional development and is that available i think in order to do the endorsement for a lot of the states that don't have the endorsement currently, we're going to have to do both. And so 
this is where I think Dr. Dylan, um, your perspective is even more important. When I'm going to advocate in our higher ed universities of saying we need an adaptive PE endorsement, um, that is also in your physical education or your PE program, they then have to go back to their dean and try to advocate for adding an endorsement and that budgetary piece. And so, if it's infused as a nation that all PEAT programs have to have this basic amount of adaptive physical education credits, then I think that it gives more power to our um, profession. We also need to support those teachers that are already in the programs. And that's where I think having professional development and saying, well, if you are working towards your APENS, your, your CAPE certification, here are different opportunities we can do that. And whether if it's in their state organizations, whether it's aligning with higher ed universities or the Shape America regional and national conferences. And then I think everybody's supporting each other in those professional development opportunities and going back to some online opportunities too. I think there's a couple of things at play that Tony just touched on. Um, when we look at um, in-service versus pre-service, I think there's a difference there. Our in-service teachers need to have access to more professional development with regard to APE. And the GAO report even touched on that. They said the school district said we don't have the funds to support that in-service um, component. But the other piece of it, too, is quite honestly, um, there are fewer of us professionally prepared and trained to provide that in-service than the need. I mean, there's a critical shortage in programs that provide personnel prep in adaptive physical education compared to what the need for APE services is in the in the U.S. And um, if we're going to move to something like what Tony is is um, recommending, which I would actually support that we have somebody in the physical education pedagogy or in the exercise science or kinesiology departments, however the institution of higher ed is configured, that have content knowledge in adapted physical education and adapted physical activity. But then we have to look at, again, that critical shortage. We don't have enough folks leaving with doctorates or even master's degrees from our programs to meet that need at higher ed, um, especially when our most of our master's students are being placed in public schools. There's, there's some workarounds, obviously, but I think the, one of the big contributing factors to there being a shortage of in-service is the fact that there's a shortage of people who are adequately trained to provide those in-services um, and or to provide professional preparation at an institution of higher education. Um, and it's something that we're addressing. It's something that the federal government supports, the OSEP grants, um, the leadership grants, and the personnel prep grants at the master's level are intended to do exactly that, to help support the additional training of content experts who can go out and deliver public school or services in the public schools, as well as go forward to institutions of higher education and serve as leaders in the field. And that's one of the stop kind of stop gates, I guess, for where we are in Washington state in order to recognize the adaptive physical education endorsement. I need to have one higher ed university offer the endorsement in their program. And I, I'm really surprised how hard it's been in this last three year process to get a university to take on that endorsement. And I'm not saying that the universities don't want to. I know that there's, there is some want to do that. Um, but there's a lot of variables that go into adding an endorsement into a program, um, that cause some challenges and barriers. 
whether it's qualified uh, personnel to be teaching it, um, as well as like the budgetary piece, those grants are out there. So then it's supporting higher ed universities in knowing that too. I, I think, you know, you know where those programs are and those grants are. And then it's just, uh, I think advocating for those universities to know they can apply for those grants too. I think the other piece of it too, that can be, um, Challenging. I know when I was at Wayne State um, University in Detroit, when we were going through the curriculum revision process, curriculum revision is not a fast process in most universities. Um, it's typically a year long. So they have to plan forward on that. But the other piece of it, too, is looking at what's already on the books and how could we potentially modify a course rather than create a new course and really kind of streamline things so that we can get to those 12 credit hours in adapted physical education that would allow our graduates with a teaching certificate in physical education to sit for the APENS exam and to become um, CAPE certified. Um, and I, it sounds like a much bigger process and when you get down into the nuts and bolts of it, it's not as a laborious process, but it's getting over that hump and getting over the fears and the concerns about how much work is this going to be versus what's the payout going to be. And I think if more universities and colleges understood that um, most of them are offering in their peak program, they're offering the one three credit class. So there's three of the 12 credit hours. The students could also go take an introduction to special education type of a course. So now this is something that's coming from outside the department, doesn't help with FTEs within the department, but it's at least something that's already on the books. So now we're really only looking at two classes. And until they get to the point where they can conceptualize that and understand that this, with the addition of two classes and having somebody on staff who could teach these classes appropriately, might make our graduates so much more marketable than the college down the street or the college across the state. Until we get to that point, it's still going to be an uphill battle, particularly for advocates like yourself, Tony, who are in the, the state trying to really move the field forward. So what I'm hearing is... This is a really complicated situation, uh, which I think is a multiple prong thing that needs to happen at every state as well as the advocacy at the nationwide. And we need to, uh, advocate strongly to our higher ed, uh, institutions at our school levels, uh, and with like professional development agencies as well. So, and at the state level, like, of making sure that the endorsements are happening and such. So we have, like, this multiple-pronged piece, and all of it needs to kind of come together. There's one other piece, though, I think that, that you might be missing, Scott. Uh-huh. And I think that's um, our relationships and our communication with parents and families. Um, quite honestly, they're the most effective change makers in at the local level. And so if they understand what is adaptive physical education and they understand that there should be a quote unquote qualified person delivering that service to their, their child, they're going to be the one that advocates and says, you know, is that a truly an educator providing this service to my student or is it a physical therapy aide who doesn't know anything about curriculum, doesn't know anything about the physical education curriculum or how, or instructional strategies. Um, and, and I've seen that way too many times where PTAs or um, uh, paraeducators or um, classroom teachers are, quote-unquote, delivering the service, and they have no knowledge or expertise um, in in adapted physical education. With uh, the parents, 
when they come into the IEP and the IEP uh, idea uh, states that they need to have a knowledgeable and trained professional in that area to do the testing, to, you know, be delivering the service and such. I think a parent could pretty easily say, is this person really knowledgeable and trained, you know, and trained? Because that's not a very well-defined thing within the law. And if they don't, if they can't point to anything such as an endorsement, and especially when it's a physical therapist or a special educator or a general PE teacher, it's pretty easy to say, well, this person isn't really that knowledgeable and trained, um, which, you know, would definitely be some ammunition to give to a parent. We have this huge, though, like multi-pronged thing, right? And I know both of you are very experienced in this battle. But I think it could be really overwhelming if I'm a, you know, a, a APE teacher listening right now and, you know, I'm, I'm an N of one to try to push something like this to try to, you know, have higher quality in my district, let alone, you know, the entire state. So what are some of the strategies you've all, that you've used at those different levels to, you know, make this process actually occur? I think there's a, a couple of very simple, direct things that the um, the practitioners in the field can do. And we know that they can be successful because we've seen people like Dave Martinez and Brad Wiener and Tony go forward and, and affect change using some of these strategies. And one is to simply build a relationship with your director of special education and provide them with up-to-date information as you get it. So if a Dear Colleague letter comes out, like the Dear um, Timeson and Dear Kelly letter, that your director of special education has those in hand so that they understand what the Department of Education's interpretation of the law is. Um, as new research and reports come out um, that support appropriate programming for students with disabilities, et cetera, that that is being put forward and that you're clear about, here's my, my current set of constraints and here's not just here's what my issues are or what my problems are, but here's some ways where I think together we could improve the situation. And and the data will help drive um, change and um, potential hires, et cetera, in districts. But it's not a overnight process. It's a, a build a relationship, provide data, make a compelling argument that you have a significant need, and then then that will create a compelling argument and they'll make some changes. And I agree with you on that. What I have had to find out as a teacher. So what I feel is that I'm, I was prepped through programs to go into a classroom and teach my students. And the process that I've had to change through as a physical education and an adaptive physical education teacher is that advocacy piece of advocating for programs and services so I would say feedback to, to teachers is to know your systems. Look at what are your state systems. In Washington State, we have our OSPI, the Office for uh, Superintendent of Public Instruction. So then knowing it goes into ESDs, our educational service districts, and then down to your district. So one of the things that I've done is not only make relationships with my special education directors, but then go make presentations into those districts, um, the ESDs or your other directors. Because what I found is one district says, well, what's this district doing? And that district says, well, what's this district doing? And so they all talk and network. So one of the things that um, I've found besides doing the letters and that Dr. Dillon just talked about um, is doing that positive press. 
having articles, having videos of what it looks like so that parents can advocate too. And then going out and you have to get into the weeds and present to those directors. Go, I'm presenting at our WASA, which is our special education state directors conference this summer, getting out there and having visibility, um, presenting to our physical therapists in our state, going to their state conference so that we can say, Yes, we overlap in some services, but this is where we're different. And so building the support from those practitioners and professionals also. Um, then also looking at your state organization, Shape Washington or, or that, and having the backing from that support group in your network. But as Dr. Dillon's talking about, like networks and relationships are really important. And sometimes like I know myself at, in Washington, I feel like I'm in a silo. And so really looking at connecting with your network nationally and people, Dr. Dillon's been really supportive. Garth Timeson's been really supportive of me, Tim Davis, you know, really connecting with people and like talking to you, Scott, and we're doing this podcast now. We need to get things out there. And so that's really important. Last year in Nashville, I presented a presentation where it was, let's collaborate. And people came and I feel like that platform of having a national conference where we have so many people together face to face, we want to, we need to have that time to talk to each other. And so I put in another proposal of let's have round table discussions where we can support each other, know what's out there in resources, know who can support you in different networks. And so I hope that that presentation gets accepted on the national level so that we can support each other in, in this. Um, adventure, I guess, this advocacy for our student services. I I think that's a really uh, good idea and something that it, it's, I think it sounds simple, but I don't think it is because it would occur if it, if it was simple. Um, you know, I think it's a lot of time that, you know, that we have to consciously put into it. But so with that whole connection thing, I wonder, um, you know, uh, if either of you have work with the people that are uh, certified in, in APE and, and kind of working at more of a state level that's it's really successful in Minnesota and California. Those are the two states that seem to have, that I hear often have done it very exceptionally well, um, where it's become just part of their, their you know, everyday life. All the districts are doing it, and it seems to be successful. They have high-level programs overall. Have you worked with them at all and asked them, you know, for some support as well as to show your districts, hey, check out like what Minnesota's doing, how they've laid this out. It's pretty, you know, they've done a nice job with that. California and Minnesota are unique examples of states that have high level expectations for their teachers and um, a pretty intensive process before they are going to allow you to to maintain a California teaching credential or a Minnesota teaching credential. And they also have his, have a history of, from the beginning, being actively engaged, so to speak. So there's, it's a lot easier to maintain status quo than it is to make change. And they have, from the beginning, been very um, hands-on in teacher credentialing and been supportive. So it's been easier for them to maintain that. I don't know if that's anything that a, that a practitioner um, could leverage, if that makes sense. I think we are so involved in providing the service at the school level that um, it will take 
a handful of us to let go of that service delivery at the university level or the school level and step over into state administration or state governance, et cetera, to kind of influence what's happening um, at that level, if that makes sense. Um, but I think Tony touched on something, um, and you're kind of alluding to it, Scott, that we need to do a better job of communicating with others who are in the same boat as we are and say, where were you successful and how can I use some of those similar strategies? And to not be afraid to ask for help. I think quite honestly what Tony did in, in reaching out to me while I was president of consortium to say, hey, this is what's going on in my state. How can men, um, the consortium help? How can you be of assistance is a big thing. There's a lot of PE teachers and, and adapted PE teachers that I've spoken to that I've said, well, just go talk to so-and-so. They'll absolutely help you out. And they're like, no, I read that person's textbook or I know that person is, is on such and such board. They're not going to want to have time for somebody um, who's just dealing with a simple issue in their district. And, and the opposite is actually true. You need to feel comfortable going to the key people, the, the major stakeholders and saying, I am having this struggle. Can you be of assistance? And nine times out of 10, they will respond positively and say, yeah, here's what I can what I can do or here's who I can put you in touch with because maybe that person that you went to go see wasn't the right person, but they do know the person who could help you more. Right. And so I think to jump on top of that too, um, I, right now we have the Special Olympics USA games going on in Seattle. And so I went and volunteered yesterday and had the great opportunity to listen to Tim Shriver talk last night. I went to one of his um, forums and I really appreciated one of the things that he said, um, just from seeing their success as an organization, but also, um, the struggles in that it takes so much to shift culture and to make change and how he said that and like how much power needs to go behind individuals with disabilities in having appropriate services. And I think that's a huge thing because I know I've confided in you a lot, Dr. Dylan, about I was like, oh, we're not having services in Washington State. Let me have a letter. I'm going to bring that to the director. And the director is like, uh, well, okay. And how much work it takes to make small change, I think, was really um, discouraging and disappointing to me. And I appreciate the support that I've had from all of you, knowing that that's a struggle for everybody. And I need to have realistic um, goals and expectations, knowing it's going to change little by little. And we can't get discouraged in that. You can't just say, well, it's the law, follow the law. That's not going to change the services. And so I think one of the things that I'd say to people listening to this podcast is lean on your support system, but also know that the change is going to move slower than you think. But celebrate the small successes because it will, once the ball starts rolling, it will continue to roll. And to do it in a positive way too, not always be adversarial or um, aggressive with your approach. Uh, there are times to be strong and to uh, advocate. But at the same time, I think that was a big learning experience for me trying to shift systems is knowing the how slow that process is when you know, where Minnesota and California, they they have that historical approach. Um, we definitely want to network with them because when a, a superintendent or a special ed director says, what does this look like? We can then share and point them to those districts and those states. But um, I think being really realistic and, and encouraging and, and networking is really important in that. 
Now, I'm, I'm kind of pulling some of this conversations we're having to some of the past, po- recently past podcasts I've had, and there almost seems to be a theme going on a little bit about this communication. Um, I had Dr. Rimmer on recently from uh, Nick, where he's creating this really, he's trying to create this large inventory of all the strategies that have been given to him the last 15 years from APE teachers and how they can be applied. So you can like go on there online. Um, I also had uh, people from Region 10 in Texas come on and talk about the professional development they give across the state and how there's such a huge need. Um, and I just kind of want to tie that back to like, we need to find for endorsement reasons, for support reasons, but we really need to find some way for all of us to be able to network a little bit uh, better and on a regular basis. And I think social media is one way to do that, but I think that we need to do it maybe some other mediums as well. And I think that's just, it's become a, talking with both of you, uh, it seems to be a little bit of a theme that's coming up from my past few recent podcasts is this need for us to communicate more efficiently and more regularly. All right, so what is a final takeaway you would like us to have from this conversation? So I think to me, to to wrap that up, I think um, the question, one of your probing questions was, who does this benefit? So having the CAPE or the endorsement, and for me, it's like, it benefits the students in their safety, in their growth, and in their opportunities. It benefits the staff in the accessibility for their programs, for their performance, and for their comfort level of working with students with disabilities. Uh, it benefits our programs to have quality programs, um, settings for students to learn and be able to grow both in being healthy and active. I think it benefits our administrators in hitting their superintendent goals or their state growth goals and initiatives. Um, but when it really comes down to it, it benefits our kids. It benefits our students. It benefits our children. And so when we are looking at advocating for the endorsement, we need to make sure that we're we're showing the benefits of this and the benefits of getting your CAPE certification, benefits of having a, a adaptive physical education endorsement. I think to tag on that, Tony, I think that we all would, um, if we look kind of at the big picture, I say to my students all the time, your job as an ACE professional is to the best of your ability help the students, help work yourself out of a job, help the students become as independent as they are able to in a physical activity setting and have the skills and the, the attitudes and the knowledge about being physically active so that they can do it into adulthood. And if we circle that back around, yes, it does improve outcomes for the kids, but it also, at the end of the day, should improve outcomes for our community. We're going to have a healthier citizenry. We're going to have people who are engaged in their community, um, which then benefits all of us, not just our students with disabilities uh, when they're in the K-12 setting. I I, uh, I appreciate having both of you on here on the show, and uh, thank you once again. Thank you, Scott, for the opportunity. Absolutely. Thank you. All right. Thank you, everyone, for listening to this new episode on APE endorsements. 
We're going to be back fairly shortly. I have a few other podcasts in the works. And like I said, I'm going to do one in a very uh, short amount of time that's going to detail my my own dissertation process. Uh, my study was looking at the use of podcasts with special administrators, which I think is interesting. And I'll talk a little bit about that. So stay tuned and thanks for listening. Thank you.